0: The clock starts now. My name is Shrikant Joshi. This week's episode is based on the theme, Constant Motion, which was generated last week using a random writing prompt generator provided by randomwordgenerator.com. When the theme first appeared in the generator, a bunch of thoughts immediately flashed in my mind. I uh, thought I would talk about perpetual motion machines or about cities that never sleep or people who are always in the move. And that's when I realized I needed something like an anchor or a producer to help me organize my thoughts. So I went and got myself a producer. Well, it turned out to be somewhat of a deal with the devil, and I'll tell you why after I narrate today's story, which is titled Journoing Nonstop. Do you know what the fourth estate is? It is a term used to refer to the press and news media. Back in the old days, there existed a traditional European concept of three estates of the realm. These were broad orders of social hierarchy used to stratify people into social classes, typically during the Middle Ages, but even as recent as early modern Europe. The three estates were traditionally accepted to be the clergy, the nobility, and the commoners. Their modern equivalents would probably be religion, government, and the masses themselves. These three estates, or powers, held the capacity to frame political issues. In 1787, Edmund Burke observed that there sat, and these are his words that I'm going to say next, in the reporter's gallery yonder, there sat a fourth estate more important, than the three estates in Parliament. Over the years, however, the fourth estate has constantly had to evolve to keep up with the various developments in the world. From occupying the reporters' gallery in the House of Commons in the late 1700s, reporters now have a gallery of their own pieces, published on various websites and channels. From being able to comprehensively and unhurriedly report on the various issues being addressed by the elected members in the parliament, to the pressure to churn out viral memes 30 minutes after the news drops, the field of journalism has certainly come a long way. But what does it mean for the profession in general? Does it count as progress? Or is journalism actually regressing? And if it is regression, then is journalism doomed to disappear? How long before it disappears? And what could take its place? By the way, if you instinctively said, no way, journalism can never disappear, congratulations, you're a journalist. And if you nodded your head vigorously at the idea of journalism disappearing, well, I have people with me today who think otherwise. And I'll introduce you to them shortly, but uh, let me tell you a little bit about who they are. To understand the evolution of journalism in India over the years, I decided to speak to a few people who were well-versed with the field. I spoke to Rahul Gadpale.
1: Hey guys, this is Rahul Gadpale. I'm working with Sakal Media Group as a chief editor. Surudha
0: Kulkarni.
2: I've been a journalist. I was an active journalist. And I train uh, media schools uh, in Pune, especially Indira School of Communication as a visiting faculty.
0: And a few students at the Indira School of Communication, which is a college in Pune where I was a visiting faculty teaching students of mass media and journalism for a short while a few years ago.
3: Okay hi I'm Shriniidhi and I'm from Pune and I do hope to pursue journalism at some point in my life
4: I'm Ashima Rajput and basically I'm from Gujarat but like studying in Pune hi I'm Swastika I'm from Raipur Chhattisgarh uh, ironically uh, journalism was something that I used to be the least interested in when <laughs> I opted for mass media management through sheer
0: coincidence all the people I spoke to were primarily into print journalism. So, this story largely focuses on that specific slice of journalism and that too specific to India. However, you will find that a lot of the thoughts and ideas mentioned at various points in this story are absolutely applicable to the overall field itself and to many other places around the world. Still, do keep an ear out and if you spot something that feels off, do let me know. To begin with, I wanted to get an understanding of the evolution of journalism over the years. So I first turned to Rahul, who had an interesting story to tell me about his career path. Turns out Rahul is actually an atypical journalist. I don't have any journalistic background. And like Rahul, Surudha too got her start in print journalism a long time ago. She started as a print journalist with a prominent English newspaper in Bangalore. Back then, the whole news gathering and reporting was a very labor-intensive job.
2: It used to be a very different day with a lot of uh, hectic activity. My day, a typical day began anytime at 10 in the morning because uh, there was uh, no speed with internet. No, we, were, uh, we were working mostly editing, hand editing. Mm-hmm. Uh, pages were done by in, in ha- by hand. And my day always ended with a night shift.
0: This was still, by the way, the early days of television. Most people in India were still coming to terms with the scientific marvel that was the television. Satellite television and cable channels were just entering the market. The concept of a 24 by 7 news channel would not happen until the turn of the millennium. Print was very much the leader of the game, although broadcast was quickly gaining steam.
2: Right from 2000 and even in the 90s also, they had already started coming up with... uh, different supplements, colourful features, going hyper-local because this kind of uh, special treatment TV always gave. So, print also started going very hyper-local.
0: But broadcast had an advantage over print. Where print would take an entire day to convey the story to the masses, broadcast could bring the masses immediately and instantly to the story itself. And with the launch of 24 by 7 news channels in the late 1990s, this idea was pretty much impossible to ignore. And it solidified into something that we all know today as breaking news.
2: Uh, well, to be honest, back then, especially in the 90s, breaking news had not become that big a phenomenon. Okay. It was just uh, the print which was still ruling, and uh, broadcast was just emerging.
0: It pretty much caught on like wildfire and soon everybody was trying to break all kinds of news. At one point, even newspapers tried to get in on the action. The Indian tabloid news magazine called Tehelka conducted hidden camera sting operations on several prominent cricketers in 2000. Their reporting on the huge match-fixing scandal that emerged from this sting operation got them wide acclaim throughout the country. I personally think that this was probably when newspapers realized that they too could break news and this idea has seen a fair amount of use a few times over the years i was a print guy i used to work for print in
1: 2000 i think 11 or 12 i did two sting operations which worked on the very next day it was telecasted on all national and international think channels
0: there you go To be fair, some print media houses knew and understood the perils of overdoing the whole breaking news game. They tried to stay away from it, resolving to only do stories that were fully developed and properly researched and reported. But that principle took a serious hit in 2008.
2: When 2611 happened, one major newspaper missed out on that news totally. And the other paper, they gave a big glaring news about that incident
0: for those who are not from india 2611 was the worst terror attack india ever experienced 10 terrorists entered mumbai through the gateway of india and they were on a suicide mission carrying with them automatic rifles and explosives over a period of three days they ended up killing more than 160 people civilians and police combined before they were neutralized by nsg commandos I used to do the evening drive time show for a commercial FM radio station in Pune back when it happened. I had been on the job for about 2 years or so and what I am about to say next might sound a little callous but allow me to provide some context here. Over the years before that incident happened, Mumbai had suffered multiple terrorist bombings. Terrorists would frequently target Mumbai since it was the financial capital of India. They had tried blowing up local trains, buses, temples, several businesses and even the Bombay Stock Exchange at one point in time. Mumbai had seen communal riots, violent clashes, but somehow it would always hobble back. We called it the resilience of the spirit of Mumbai. So when the news first arrived sometime late in the evening, I actually didn't think much of it. I remember getting ready to wrap up the show and then someone passed the news on to me just as I was about to go live on air. I think I simply mentioned that there were some rumors about another terrorist attack in Mumbai and advised people to not believe anything until the official news was released by authorities. It wasn't until the next morning that the full extent of the attack actually became known. Essentially, what I'm trying to get at is that I understand why that newspaper may have chosen to not report about the attack. But I also think that in doing so, they practically sealed the fate of all their future editions on that day. One interesting result of the 26/11 Mumbai attacks was that it led to Twitter and eventually other social media entering the mainstream. The internet was already catching on quickly and social networks were quite popular. However, this is where social media began to take root.
4: I think the spreading of news is not as traditional as it used to be, just like uh, TV or uh, newspapers and stuff. I think uh, because of the recent generations, a very prominent uh, way of was spreading any news, any sort of news, is social media memes and stuff. If you see independent journalism, random people from any background and coming out, telling the news and we do follow it because we think it is legit. They're so like, okay, we don't need an official degree. We can do it. Just at least a camera, a mic, some research and ready to go.
0: And it quickly began to first overtake other forms of traditional media such as print, radio and television and then began to take them over completely. I, I just want to take you back in 80s and 90s.
1: That time we used to have only one channel on our TVs. So what What was that? There was no choice. Now you have so much of choice, so much, so much, so much of choice
0: that people have not been able to concentrate on single thing. I think most of us are familiar with this chapter in the evolution of journalism, where social media takes over journalism. So it doesn't make sense for me to delve too deep into it. Better people than me have said way more interesting things about the subject. And that's basically where we are right now. Social media has become the primary medium of content consumption for most people. Consumption pattern is diverted to this kind of content
1: after the social media came in place.
0: Youth specifically spend a lot of time on it. Like these students from Indira School of Communication.
4: Traditional uh, like uh, ways of spreading news is not that captivating to the short attention span uh, people of Gen Z. So we want the news on to the point and in the most creative way possible. I think we've gone through three stages of
3: content consumption in general. One stage, which was the via obviously via traditional means where you read the detail of every second. Two, I think post-Covid or the increase in the use of social media, Instagram and Twitter, where people are conveying news in like less than 30 seconds because of reels, etc. Now we've reached that third stage where I think there's like a massive divide in the content consumption space where some people want that but then there is another section that wants a detail-oriented news. But
0: does that mean that they don't consume anything in any other form of media? There
4: is an app called InShot, it's like a great app. I use it on my own. Any news is 60 words.
3: I've it counted It is 60. When I started following pages on Instagram, I follow Times of India Hindu, all the news portals to only find out they're all giving me the same piece of news. But it's just overload of information. It's just overload.
0: Surudha Kulkarni, who teaches these students, tends to agree.
2: Students today are very enthusiastic. They have an access to so many media at the same time. Uh, Not all of them are very serious about serious news. But they uh, they are quite aware of what's happening. They are well abreast.
0: That said, social media has definitely ushered in some big changes to the entire concept of journalism. One major change is the bringing down of traditional hierarchies, structures and hegemonies that had gotten institutionalized over the years. Earlier, people
1: like me, people like our journalists, people like TV uh, media, we used to have our monopolies. We used to think that we are the kings. We can only do, we can only think, we can only write. So this monopoly is just thrashed away by social media.
3: People don't have the time to sit and read like a 5-page or 6-page of Times of India economic times every day and leave for work. Now because available, this I think internet, social media has just given so much of space and there are content creators or whoever who are willing to deliver that. There are people who are willing to you know flush
4: out as much as possible in like the 30 second 60 second read. I think the independent journalists are really putting out their views and you don't have to believe everything they say you have your own brains you can go on Google anytime.
0: But There are pitfalls in this development that we need to be wary of. Rahul, for instance, warns about the dangers of conflating news and updates with well-researched stories, insisting that people need to understand that there is a big difference between the two. If you consume
1: uh, just news, you are not consuming that news, that that are updates. Story generally, great guys work on it. So, someone is researching, someone is wasting his time, someone is uh, taking so much of effort on researching, studying,
0: fact-checking, uh, cross-referencing and then they come up with a story. Suruda points out that without formal training, independent journalists and channels risk losing credibility.
2: There has to be some kind of formal exposure, formal training. It has to be, it has to, there has to be a perspective building also. Students have to be exposed to a lot of practical work. And plus perspective building. Perspective building can happen via theory and via uh, uh, academic curriculum. So support together, will bring up a generation of better journalists. So we still need to have a proper media training ground like this.
0: I think Rahul sums it up pretty well with these words. As far as the content part is concerned, I
1: think it has to go back to the basics. It has to go back to the truth. Ultimately, when you work on the issue, then only the content will hit hard.
0: Everything cannot be a breaking story. To which the students have a pretty good rebuttal, I think.
4: I think journalists are a great content creator. So, I mean, I mean there's no surprise that they're upgrading their way of uh, delivering their news.
3: It is all about creative storytelling. Like, people will buy if you communicate it well.
0: Can I just say that I have great hope from this next generation of journalists? And that I'm eagerly looking forward to consuming the content that they will be creating. It might take me a while to get accustomed to their ways, but I've got a feeling they will definitely be entertaining for sure. And that is the end of today's story. Last week, I told you how producing that story was hectic. This week, I want to tell you that it was absolutely maddening. Three interviews in five days, multiple other freelancing, project deliverables, several meetings, personal commitments, the whole nine yards. Thankfully, I had an assistant to help me out this time. Or so I thought. Because this assistant turned out to be a terrible idea. You see, this episode was conceived and produced largely using GPT. I used ChatGPT as a producer on the episode, as an assistant on the episode and asked it to come up with various ideas for the theme. It gave me about 13 different ideas. I shortlisted this one and then I asked it to suggest profiles of people to interview. I reached out to people who fit those profiles, interviewed them, and then asked ChatGPT to structure the script of the episode. No, this does not count as cheating because if you stop to think about it, ChatGPT can actually be considered the next iteration in journalism. It can already construct logical arguments, it can frame them in neat sentences, and it can present them to you for you to work upon further as you see fit, which is what I needed from a producer. The only problem I have with it is that the story it outlined needed way more than 7 days to produce. In fact, I would have probably spent an entire month on this story before getting even the first draft out. But I had only 7 days and this is what I was able to make in 7 days. I hope you liked it. Thank you for hearing me out. If you want the details of what Chad GPT told me to do and how I arrived at this specific story, I have written it all up in a companion newsletter. It's called the TikTok because clock, get it? The link is thetiktok.substack.com that's t-h-e-t-i-c-k-t-o-c-k.substack.com. And I'm going to try and make sure that it goes out every week the same time as this episode that is 10am Indian standard time do subscribe if you want to know more about my crazy process of making these audio stories I'm also making a bunch of social media accounts and other companion pages for this podcast for instance I now have a voice form where you can speak and submit your thoughts for this podcast like a voicemail for the podcast check out the link in the show notes finally A huge thanks to David Hooper for the wonderful shout-out he gave this podcast, The Clock Starts Now, in a recent episode of his
5: podcast. Look up the podcast, The Clock Starts Now. The host, Shrikant Joshi. And I'm going to spell it for you. It's an Indian guy. S-H-R-I-K-A-N-T. That's the first name. Shrikant. Last name Joshi. J-O-S-H-I. Shrikant decided at the first of the year that he was going to produce one narrative nonfiction piece every week. So at the end of the year, 52 narrative nonfiction pieces. He's four or five weeks in right now. And this stuff is great, man. It's great. He takes a random topic. This is why it's called The Clock Starts Now, 10 a.m. Sunday. He gets a random topic and then it's go, 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 go until the next week. And the process starts all over again. If you want to see work as it is being made, working with him through this, he shares the process and the things that he's working through. You might have an opportunity to be a guest on this show, actually. He's always looking for sources because the topic is different every week. Anyway, look him up. The clock starts now. Shrikant Joshi is the host. It is a very, very good podcast. I think you will find it inspiring for starting where you are and jumping in, man. Jumping in, not waiting for permission. He didn't wait for somebody to hire him or until he was in the United States and had more resources and more money or whatever, he started where he was. And it's very, very good. The clock starts now. Shrikant Joshi. It's only fair that I shout him out too, right? So go
0: check out David's podcast. Build a big podcast when you get a chance. He does some amazing stuff on it. He also has a book out called 101 Podcast Templates, which is something you should definitely get if you're thinking about starting your own podcast. <laughs> The Clock Starts Now is a weekly podcast in which I solo produce a new story every week based on a totally random theme sourced from the internet. Episodes are published every Sunday at 10am Indian Standard Time. The theme music for the podcast is Highway 430 by Blue Dot Sessions. Additional music and sounds from Sound Effects Factory, BBC Sounds and Blue Dot Sessions. The best way to support this podcast right now is to share it with someone who you think would enjoy this kind of stuff. The second best way is to email me any and all critique at the email address mentioned in the show notes. I'm also on most social media sites and my DMs are always open. Next week's theme will be posted along with the show notes of this episode. You too can join me in this race if you want. Just keep your story under 5 minutes and make sure it is in my inbox by 10pm Indian Standard Time next Saturday. For now, this is me Shrikant, signing off.